Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. I'm Matt Reister with the CC Podcast, and I've got Andrew Nordstrom with us. Andrew's our Technical Director at Christian Crusaders, and we're at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference this year doing this little intro. It's our 100th year of the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. You obviously know the Cedar Falls Bible Conference before now. Oh, yeah. When's the first time you remember hearing about it? Oh, boy. We moved to Cedar Falls in 1990, and it was right there. I mean, my dad came to, to work at NAS, and so, um, you know, NAS has always been, uh, you know, at least you know, advertise it and talk about it. So um, it had to have been, I, I was probably sixth grade, something like that. And more recently, your mom, being the director of Christian Crusaders, was out here with the Christian Crusaders table every day. Yep. And so uh, great, great resource right here in Cedar Falls. Some people refer to it as the best kept secret in Cedar Falls. And as the director of that, I try to change that, obviously. So, yeah, it's incredible to me that, you know, obviously, as as somebody who, you know, 12 year old, um, I figured that, oh, Cedar Falls Bible Conference, they must have a Bible conference in every town. Uh, you know, there was probably a New Hampton <laughs> Bible Conference and Des Moines Bible Conference, yeah. Cedar Rapids. No, it's like, this is really special. This is something that you, you get at so few places nationwide, uh, especially something with a heritage like this, 100 years. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's unique. It's great. And to see all the people here is, is really, really special. I didn't know this until after I started in this role, but Bible conferences were started back at the turn of the 20th century, early 1900s. And it were, it, they were started by a bunch of lay people and biblical pastors who were concerned about denominations and churches kind of getting off the message of the gospel, oh, wow. drifting away from scripture. And so these people would meet and they were kind of interdenominational or, or maybe extra denominational meetings yeah. for these people who viewed scripture the same way uh-huh. to get together and hear preaching that was in line with what they thought it should be. And so one of our speakers in 2018, John Stone Street, he gave me the, kind of a tutorial on that history and said, man, can you imagine if they thought we needed Bible conferences in 1921, 1922 was our first one. Uh, can you imagine how much more we need Bible conferences today with all the doctrinal drift and watering wow. down that goes on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and yet there, there are so many, you know, high profile names like the people that we've gotten you know the, this year the past couple of years that they come in and they're they're ready to 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 be a part of this to to preach the word and just straight from the word without you know drifting off into those side issues that divide so today uh we're gonna listen to an interview with crawford loritz he was one of our preachers he's gone now but we recorded a 30 or 40 minute interview with him and uh, you've listened to part of that yeah uh did you knew of Crawford Loritz before this? Yeah. So another sort of uh, non-denominational, really Bible-focused event that that you and I have both been a part of is Promise Keepers, uh, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, a gathering of, of men, uh, sort of trying to inspire um, 
you know, men to take up the, the roles that, that God has in mind for them um, and, and do so, you know, just straight from the Bible. And, um, and yeah, I remember hearing Crawford. Uh, boy, I, I would have been high school um, when my dad took me to those. And, and yeah, just I, when I saw his name on the schedule, uh, I, that was the first name I knew. And, and the first one I, I recalled, you know, wow, this is a, this is a great guy to have here yeah. uh, talking. And the interview definitely did not disappoint. Speaking of Promise Keepers and Crawford Loritz and your dad, yeah. we took a bus trip that your dad was part of. Yeah. Out to, were you on that? Yeah, I was, yep. To stand in the gap out yeah. in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. You were on that trip? Oh, yeah. That was nonsense. Oh, I mean, it was a great event, but we drove from Cedar Falls to D.C., did the event, and straight back, never stopped overnight. No, and and I remember um, I had some, like, the, aside from the, the, the spiritual parts of it, <laughs> I remember very vividly that I had, like, a massive English project because yeah, I was still in high school, <laughs> and so I spent most of the bus back and forth, uh, just working feverishly. Trying Maybe to that's get why the, I don't remember you being there. You're sitting in the back yeah, studying. Yeah, just kind of my own little bubble, um, trying to get my stuff done. And, and yeah, so I remember I plowed through the night trying to work on this project. I was way behind on it, slacking <laughs> on it. And then we yeah, we get out there, we do the stand in the gap thing, we get it back on the bus, and and I either slept in the way back or kept working. But yeah, I was I was in my own little bubble. That there. bus smelled like the plague oh, because it was like boy. all these men. It was like 100 degrees that day. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, way <laughs> hot. Uh, yeah, yeah. It I was. talked to Crawford. He preached there. Was that in the interview? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. He yeah. He spoke that, at uh-huh. the at. Prom- I think that Promise Keepers my first exposure to him as well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, hey, this is great. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the CC Podcast. You're going to enjoy this interview, so let's listen to Crawford the Ritz. Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, their 100th year, and I'm with Dr. Crawford the Ritz, who is one of our speakers. You were here this morning for a couple yeah. sessions. You're back here one more time uh, tonight. You were here last night, too. And uh, just thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Oh, it's a joy to be here, Matt. I appreciate uh, Actually, things have changed out here a little bit, and I'm excited about it. There's a breath of fresh air. And yeah. I tell you, it's nothing but the Holy Spirit and, and the Lord who has sustained this conference for 100 years. Yes. As you heard us say this morning, there's 91 kids. I think they broke the 100 mark today for the elementary vbs program oh my yeah young yeah. families all over the place so. that's wonderful and that, and that uses a barometer to see where things are headed uh, in terms of the whole thing i would imagine well we don't want to get complacent but no we're no excited. yeah so tell me a little bit about your upbringing um i know some of the things about your career later in life but where did it all start it started in newark new jersey i was born there um, um i have two older sisters i'm the youngest and the only boy and I uh, grew up in a Christian home, uh, gave my heart to Jesus when I was 13 and a half years old. Uh, although the gospel had been all around me, it, it just never stuck until um, that second Sunday in January 1964. It actually wasn't my home church. It was a church that my sister uh, attended uh, through the influence of a high school friend of hers, and she invited me, and it was uh, just my time. Is that church still around? Uh, yes, yes, it is. It is. It's called... Uh, What's it called? Community Church of God now. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Cool. So we were talking earlier. I have a similar story in that I was exposed to the gospel from an early age, godly parents, 
good Sunday school attendance record, a lot of knowledge about the Bible. But it wasn't until I was about 13 or 14 at a Bible camp when it, it, it was impressed on me that this is something yeah. I need to make a decision for myself. Yes, And yes. you were saying uh, that we need to be careful as parents. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things, and don't, don't get me wrong, it is a blessing to be born and raised in a Christian family, to be exposed to the gospel. But Christian parents need to be careful a little bit. Um, don't assume because your child is compliant and they can regurgitate the Bible stories and the lessons and even the content of the gospel that they've necessarily surrendered their hearts to Jesus mm-hmm. and given themselves uh, to him. They, they've got to own it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and the same thing with our kids. I mean, uh, we've got four children, and at age four, all four of them made a commitment. Right. But they would tell you, all of them would tell you it wasn't until later on, early teens or so, mm-hmm. uh, that they owned it in their hearts. So were they really saved at four? Who knows? But right. they know now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So at 13 years old, what did you imagine yourself doing with your life? <laughs> well, at 13, I, you know, my dad played baseball in the old Negro Leagues. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And I, uh, well, he ended his career with the Memphis Cardinals. And, uh, Do you but, remember that, or were you born yet? No, I wasn't born yet. And actually, Pop came along before the heyday of the Negro Leagues. He, he, um, uh, long story, but in 1942, he uh, he was involved in a coal mining accident and lost his right eye. Okay. And so uh, that ended his baseball career, and that's what uh, the impetus that uh, drove my parents to move up to the Northeast. And so. Wow. But at, at any rate, the, the influence of baseball was all around me. Though. Awesome. So, so I played a little ball uh, back then. And, uh, but as I, when I gave my heart to Christ, uh, this is amazing. I had this incredible desire to see my friends come to know Christ. And, awesome. and, and, and uh, I, I began sharing my faith. I had a, you know, just this hunger to know the Lord more and better. It, it was, those were the most dynamic years of my Christian life, believe it or not. I really believe we're between like ages 14 and 18. Wow. Uh, I spent a lot of time with the Lord and I just had a desire to know his word and to understand it. And, and so that was the path that I was on. And so my desire to serve the Lord really began to propel me forward. I started preaching when I was uh, 16 years old. Wow. Now I tell people, I, I don't know if I'd want to listen to much of what I had to say until I was about 25 or 30, but you know. I, I just, I just interviewed, we had Michael W. Smith out here a couple months ago yeah, yeah. and I was able to interview him for this podcast. And, and I, I do a little bit of preaching myself yeah, yeah. and I've always had a desire to be faithful to the word, yes. to be oriented to the gospel. But man, there's some stuff that I preached back in the day that wasn't outright heresy, but it was just like, man, I'm I'm glad there's not a recording of that. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, right. I mean, so how do you process that? I asked him the question: uh, Do you have any songs mm. that w- back when you were young you wish you hadn't cut? Because, and he said he doesn't have any like career killers. He said there's obviously some things that he would say or do differently today, but part of that's just growth. It is. It is. But as I look back, you know, I found my first message. This is a long story, but uh, we just downsized. Mm. And Mm. uh, so two years ago, I was going through some old boxes uh, that had survived all these moves. And I found the original message that I preached when I was 16 years old. That's awesome. Yeah. It was the, an, the, the transcript or the recording? Well, I, I didn't do a transcript back then. It was an outline. But not a recording. No, not a, not a recording. And, uh, and I'll never forget out that first message. I thought I had like, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes worth of material. And I was done like in 
you know, nine, ten minutes. You remember the text? What was it? Oh, yeah, it was James 1. The, wow. Yeah, and uh, it, it was based on the old King Jimmy version, G- King James. And I title of the message was, <laughs> Be Ye Doers of the Word. And my mother was sitting out there, and I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, son, why, why, why did you, why, why'd you come across so angry? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my mom is my best critic. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Mom well, will let you know what's up, right? Oh, women in my life, somebody asked me, we do, you know, I've been doing these um, um, mentoring things in residence program at a church and I was pastor, and all these guys that asked me said, oh, Dr. Loretta, does your wife give you honest feedback? And my response is, son, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So... You get into preaching at an early age, yeah. and then what? Then I went to college. You know, I did struggle for a little bit. I, um, believe it or not, I had a, uh, an ambition at one point to be a, to be a symphony conductor. Wow. Yeah. Did the, you play music? No, but let me tell you what the deal was. I went to Plainfield High School in Plainfield, New Jersey, and there was a young prodigy there who was, uh, had just become the music choral director there. His name was F. Lewis Hooker who later went on to be uh, the, the conductor for the J- New Jersey Symphony and the Scola Cantorum. Wow. And he introduced us to, uh, oh, just classical music, Baroque music, cool. Randall Thompson, uh, the Bach Magnificat, and all these things. And I became a student conductor. Wow. There was something about that that I loved. Yeah. And uh, so for a brief moment, I was kind of nudged in that direction. But um, preaching in the gospel ministry won out. So did you go... Now, I know that you joined Crew in 78. Yes. Yeah. And I, what did you do? Prior to that, well, I went to, I went to Philadelphia College of Bible, uh, and I spent four years there. Right after that, I went on staff with a group called American Missionary Fellowship. It used to be called American Sunday School Union. By the way, that's how I got introduced to Iowa. Oh. Uh, yeah, way back yonder in the early 70s. Where'd you go? I uh, went to a place called Hampton, Iowa. Oh, my and, gosh, yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, Hampton, Iowa, and uh, spoke at this uh, uh, Bible conference, youth conference at Clear Lake. Yeah. And uh, that's when I first caught my I first caught my first bullhead there. And, <laughs> you know. There, there's a camp on Clear Lake now that a bunch of our kids go to called Iowa Regular Baptist Camp. Is it, would it have been I, there, I, do you know? I, I don't know. It's been so long, but I, I met Dick and Donna Parker, who live in Hampton, wow. Iowa. We've been friends now for all these years. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So I stayed with them for four years. Then in 1976, Tony Evans, who's mm. a... Um, you don't need to say who Tony Evans yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony Evans and I met the summer of 75, and uh, he was finishing up at DTS. And, you know, we were dreaming together. And then uh, Karen and I moved to Dallas to join up with he and Lois to plant Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. You were part of that? Yeah, we co-founded Oak Cliff Bible that Fellowship. That is awesome. I had no idea. Yeah. And so, but during that time, I also did some speaking for Campus Crusade for Christ in their, their Christmas conferences, student conferences, and this kind of thing. And so around late 77, early 78, they began recruiting me, you know, to, to join staff. Yeah. And that's where the, the crew uh, part came in. I joined staff. We joined staff in 1978. And I was a traveling speaker, spoke at college and university campuses across the U.S. and many parts of the world. And, and then later on, um, for about the last, I'd say, 15 years or so that I was on staff, I was associate U.S. director giving input to the overall direction of the ministry of the United States. And, uh, but spending a lot of my time speaking and representing the movement. So your States. role in crew or Campus Crusade back then was just going around speaking. You yeah, didn't have like absolutely. a campus position or something. No, mm-mm. that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it was, but it was, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it's it's ministry too. It's not right, like you right. just you know <laughs> yep. stand up and do a gig. I mean, it's this spiritual warfare involved. In, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
You've done other things besides crew. You're the pastor of a church you just retired from. That's right. In 2005, um, well, actually, be, around 2003, Karen and I, I just, I'd always been asked to, 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 to pastor churches, you know, and uh, I've always been a churchman, and I was a bit of an anomaly on staff because I've, I've always essentially been a preacher. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so in about 2003, four, I just sensed that God was nudging me uh, to preach and teach in a local church uh, setting in such a way that would help disciple people and move them down, down the pike. So long story short, in 2005, I became the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church and uh, a great, great group of people. And I just retired in uh, uh, Easter Sunday of this year. And uh, Your associate, your assistant, Jim Jenks, yeah. he told me that you picked the day Easter Sunday to retire because you want to make sure that this wasn't about you, it was about Christ. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, what yeah, went into that decision? I'm not trying to puff you up, but that's, no, I think that's no, really cool. No, I, I did. I did. We, uh, that we all have to. We all have to remember that the calling is is is, is the calling and platform. The opportunity is about the glory of God, Amen. the exaltation exaltation of Christ. And uh, and I, I don't I don't want to be falsely humble. Of course, they were they celebrated me and and all of that. Yeah. And and I think that's appropriate, but. Um, that was that went into my decision. I, awesome. I wanted to talk about the resurrected the resurrection power of our Savior. What a great message to go out on, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, I was first exposed to you through Promise Keepers. Yes. So, tell me about your experience with them, and, and for anybody who maybe doesn't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, back in the '90s, uh, uh, Coach Bill McCartney, who was a coach of the Colorado, uh, Colorado University of Colorado um, Buffaloes, Buffaloes. Yeah, almost forgot that. Terrible. <laughs> and and uh, had a vision and a passion for men. Yep. And that's, that's where the PK movement started. We filled up stadiums literally across the country. Mm-hmm. And so in 1995, um, they contacted me to, to speak at the one in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And uh, God bless it in, in a wonderful way. And so I just, I spoke at a ton of those things between 95 and probably 2004, 2005. I I saw PK in uh, in Chicago. I went to this. Were you at Stand in the Gap? I was in DC. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was a hot day. It was a hot day. I was at the one in Chicago, and it was blazing. I'll never forget that. We went over at break for lunch. Uh huh. Um, I don't remember a couple of my uncles and my dad, maybe one of my cousins, or we ran over to Lake Michigan to jump in the water. <laughs> and the closest. You we kidding could, me? Did you literally? We're the closest we could get to it was this kind of pier thing and you're about 10 feet above the water level yeah yeah so yeah. like let's just jump for it well you, you're thinking it's 105 degrees out here the, the lake temperature must have been 68 degrees i mean it was <laughs> freezing and then we couldn't figure out how to get up back up this wall thankfully we didn't drown and we made uh, it yeah. back for the afternoon but that is funny you yeah. literally jumped in it was yeah it was, uh, it was dumb i wouldn't recommend it yeah um so give me one of your uh best moments from promise keepers just what sticks out when you think of that time? Well, you know, actually, I don't know if this is best moment. It's the most memorable moment for me. It was my first Promise Keepers. My dad was dying, mm. and uh, he was dying of congestive heart failure up in Roanoke, Virginia. And I was going to call to cancel. I was by his bedside, and I, wow. and I told my mother, I said, I, you know, I, I, my father was the original Promise Keeper. I mean, he just, mm. in terms of integrity awesome. and all of that, and, and, and I said, I, I can't go. And my mother, who was uh, one of the most ki- kind, merciful, gentle people you'll ever meet in your life, 
She grabbed me by the arm and she said, you know, your dad would want you to keep your promise. Mm. You said you would be there and there's nothing you can do right now. And so, and, but they, they had assigned a message for me entitled Raising the Standard for Your Children. Mm. And so here I've got this thing and in my head, I'm just thinking of losing the next to Jesus. My dad has had the greatest impact in my life. Awesome. And so, uh, you know, just... I just finally broke down as I was speaking and just shared from my heart what I was experiencing and uh, paid a tribute to my dad. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments that was pretty historic. It just um, God moved in a great way. There were a number of spiritual decisions made and that kind wow. of thing. But that that was probably the most, um, I mean, there are, other, there are other PK moments. Some of them are pretty hilarious, but <laughs> they were career wise. Um, I mean, one of the things that stands out, you must have been doing some stuff with Athletes in Action yep. through mm-hmm. crew. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've heard about Crawford talking to uh, NFL teams and yep. sports teams. Yep. Um, to talk about kind of your the, the time you spent in athletics. Well, yeah, it's so funny. So I'm not, I'm not a professional athlete, never played pro ball, didn't play college ball, this kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to figure out how all of this got started. Uh, you know, I, my, my wife to this day, she is the uh, Bible study leader for the, for the Atlanta Braves wives and cool. this kind of thing. And I started speaking in chapels there back in, uh, oh my goodness, back in 1979 or so. And just a good friend of mine was the chaplain of the Braves. And, and so I had a relationship there. And then Athletes in Action with Campus Crusade uh, is an athletic division, and they have a pro division there. And the guys would ask me to speak uh, to various teams, and, uh, and, and a lot of the AIA staff are chaplains for some of the NFL teams. So I've spoken at uh, just a ton of uh, chapels and, and uh, a number of, uh, number of uh, Super Bowl chapels and things like that. And, and then one thing, you know, these things have a way of morphing, you know. Mm-hmm. One thing leads to another. Yeah. And, and so you know, I've, I've spoken at, uh, you know, NCAA Final Four events and um, those kinds of things. So. Talk about this. As somebody who's been on the inside of some of that, um, I mean, our culture is so wrapped up in the athletics and i love it i mean I, I i love sports we're iowa hawkeyes fans here. yeah, yeah right. yankees fan uh, my son and i right now are in the process of seeing the yankees play in every ballpark and having a great time together i knew i loved you i am a are new you york yankees fan? oh my Brother, goodness right here my father my father was an avid new york yankee fan he could give you the lineups going back from the 20s that all is the awesome. way through that friend when i was a kid you know, I, I'm dating myself, but they used to have Saturday afternoon games. On the TV. On the TV. Well, not only on TV, we would go over there. Newark, New Jersey oh, right. was only right about, the river. yeah, it was like 10 miles from Manhattan. GW Bridge, right? That's right. Or, or the Holland Tunnel and catch the train up to Bronx, and we were there. So, at any rate. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, we've got a club in right here in Cedar Falls, Waterloo, called the, the Yankees Pinstripe Faithful. It's a bunch <laughs> of old white guys from the middle of Iowa who are Yankees fans. The way they were all introduced were through the Saturday afternoon game that was broadcast. So yes, the, the yes. Yankees had a contract with CBS, maybe. Maybe. And, I, I, and so a lot of times the only games played out here were Yankees. It was a brilliant marketing move. Yeah. And I think it really is why the Yankees are America's favorite team, because they got broadcast rights to other parts of the country. That There's nobody neutral about the Yankees. You either right. love them or hate them. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was going to ask is um, – having been kind of behind the curtain in the athletic world yeah. where, where many of people really come to worship. Yes. I mean, stadiums today are yes. like modern-day yes. worship centers. Yeah. Um, obviously, guys like us can appreciate and love athletics, you know, put in, 
in the right place, right, or, or viewed the right way. Yeah. Um, um, what? But these are just real people. They're yeah. absolutely real people. Okay. Now here's the deal. So they have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know. So you 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 got you got 22 year old, 24 year old multi gazillionaires. All mm-hmm. right. And so they've got a lot of money, a lot of popularity in this kind of thing. But that does not that does not accelerate the maturity process. Right. In fact, in fact, I would argue too many resources will 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 sustain adolescent behavior. <laughs> it really well will. Said. You 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 give a 23 year old a pocket full of money, a lot of press and time in his hands. Mm-hmm. Nothing good will happen from that. Amen. Nothing good. And so, you know. And the other deal is what I've learned. I, I thought you were going to ask me about ministering to them and what do you do and this yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, they, sure. People ask me that now all the time. And I said, well, first of all, you can't impact that which you worship. It would always change you. That's right. So if you're unduly impressed with them. Yes. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is the veterans typically are, have, are more in touch with their neediness because there is a tipping point. They realize, you know, everybody wants something from me. They're very protective. And, you know, and it's... They, they, they're like nibbled to death by ducks and, and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, I mean, you know, the money's good and they have a lot of the trinkets and toys, but the isolation is real too. Mm-hmm. In professional baseball, the, the, the divorce rate is over 75%. Wow. So just think about that. And so they're hurting. Mm-hmm. And the best thing you can do, you just, you don't treat them any differently. Yeah. You, you, it's the same thing as you minister to other people. The fact that they have a bubble and they're isolated and they got all of this stuff around them, you got to get past being impressed with that yep. and love them and realize that they, they are the same as anybody else. They have a lot, the same temptations. They just have a lot more resources to cover the impact of it for a while. But it's, they're just like everybody else. One thing that I've noticed with just a few people who have been successful in that area is everyone almost only wants to talk to them about about yeah. sports and it's like no yeah. it, it and it's it's a little bit lonely in the sense or a little bit maybe messes with their their psyche because it's like people don't care about me in any other way that's except right. athletically that, and that's the truth of the matter and so you know i tell guys they ask me all the time they, they they've been invited to speak at you know, a D1 uh, chapel for a football team or, or a pro chapel. And I'd say that, and they said, well, how, how, do I, how do I establish rapport with them? I said, the worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do is give illustrations about your sports, your, your high school, your, I played in high school or whatever. Remember who you're talking to. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Unless, uh, unless you were the number one pick, you probably don't want to go down that road. So uh, don't do that. And the other one, don't over-identify. Right. Just don't over, just, just, you know, act like you've been there. Right. And, and, and realize their people, their needs. Yeah. You got, you got 12 minutes usually or 15 minutes yep. uh, before they have to hit the field. Right. Get to the bottom line. Love them. Yep. Give them the book. Give them a spiritual principle and trust God to work. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, another thing that comes to mind, I remember there's this notorious quote from Tom Brady back after he'd won like three or four Super Bowls. And I don't know where Brady's at spiritually, but that, at that time, he basically was saying, and think about where he's come from since then. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, and he basically basically said. Now you have to understand, I'm from Atlanta. For you using Tom Brady is <laughs> is like, Anathema. I mean, this is 
this, I've got to respond by faith to this deal. <laughs> but I remember him saying, um, you know, basically I have accomplished every goal I ever dreamt of and more, and I'm still not fulfilled. And he basically said, did you ever see that clip? And yeah. He, and he yeah, basically yeah, said, yeah. there's got to be something else. Yeah, and so one thing I think about with these professional athletes in a spiritual sense is, and anyone who's way, way, way successful in any, in any arena, um, business, politics, whatever, they've really lived, it's kind of like Solomon, at, at the height of yeah. the heights. Yeah. Uh, all the power, all the influence, yeah. all the money, all the whatever you want. And so they're maybe more open or aware of the inability of those things to ultimately fulfill. Because little Joe Blows like me are like, oh, it would be kind of nice to have three Rolls Royces and five yeah. houses all around the world. And, but, but those guys have done it, and they're like, it ain't that cool. Well, and that's the reason why, paradoxically, one of the great harvest fields and people, where people are most responsive to the gospel is in professional sports. Amazing. Just because there, there is this weird paradox. They get to the tipping point faster than most people do. Yes. They, they, because, because they're fast-tracked with popularity and prominence, but also with the advent of social media and this kind of thing, the criticism and everything. So they reach that point of understanding, hey, look, look, people don't care for me much, only for what I produce and do for them. Yeah. And they get to that place more quickly, which is a wonderful place because now they're faced with their own emptiness. Mm -hmm. They've accomplished what they wanted to do ever since they were in, you know, peewee league football right. and little league and all of a sudden they're, you know, and they're realizing that, hey, I mean, after a while, you know, how many cars can you drive? Right. I mean, seriously. I mean, yep. and how, how many more labels can you have in your closet? I right. mean, come on, man. And they get there. They get there more quickly. Now, some of them don't arrive at that, but they're more open to the gospel. I mean, I can tell you that there's an incredible number of NFL players who are followers of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Incredible number of uh, major league baseball players, uh, even 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 the NBA. I mean, there, and a lot of it has to do with God saying, "Okay, you think this is what you want? Right. I'm going to overdose you on that, right. and you're going to be just as miserable, if not more so." Yeah. And because it doesn't satisfy. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I did. I'm going to re refer to a couple of things you've said in your messages the last couple of days. And my wife takes really good notes. Oh my goodness. I, I don't take notes very well. And so I said, babe, can I have your notes? Because I got to get a couple of these. I think I saw you sleeping, nodding off a couple of times. <laughs> One of the things that you said that I thought uh, was great. Yeah, here it is right here. Um, one of the things you said was that emotions are not good. Dri they're terrible drivers. No, emotions They're, are great passengers, but horrible drivers. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Talk. I, I think that's such a needed message in yeah. our culture today. I don't want to deny our emotions. Our emotions, they're, they're barometers, you know, that, that indicate something's going wrong. But you can't live by your emotions. Uh, it, it, is, it is the intellect, emotion, and the will. The emotion has to be in the, in the middle. The intellect and the will are like the banks of the river. Mm -hmm. and, and so change in life determinative change in life, the verb position of life has to do with the will. Mm -hmm. So eventually, if you're in a hard spot, you, you, you've got to think yourself through that and you have to say to your emotions that this is what I need to do. This is where I need to be. And so you push the emotions over to the passenger side. Yeah. And you say, no, this is, this is, this is what I need to do. I was talking about the, 
five critical choices that we need to make in order not to be branded by discouragement. Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, you're going to have to make decisions. Nobody has ever changed, ever, ever, ever changed apart from decisions. Choose truth was the first. Yeah. Choose joy. Choose faith. Choose community. Choose service. You guys should look this up on our on our YouTube page because you'll be able to hear Dr. Loritz's message on these. It's a phenomenal message. Another great kind of soundbite thing that you said was make the Bible the context of your life, yeah, not a reference point for yeah, your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the problem with most Christians, okay? And, I, and as a pastor, this would frustrate me to no end. There are people, and you see them here, there are people that go to conferences all the time. They have their, their, their journals and notebooks filled. They, they listen to podcasts and this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but they've yet to decide, yet to decide that God's word is not going to just be ancillary to my life. It's not just going to be the, you know, the wallpaper of my life. But God's word is going to be the context of my life. It's going to be my life. Mm -hmm. It has to be my life. And I think it, that's a decision. That, that's a decision that needs to be made. That I'm not just going to keep playing tag with the scriptures when I get between a rock and a hard place or something bad happens to me or this kind of thing. No, where's that verse? Where's that verse? Right. You know, we, we've got to decide that we can't make it. We cannot make it apart from God's word. And I, I, don't, I don't think the average Christian has come to that decision. So we keep stumbling toward it but not embracing. You got to say, well, this is who I am. Once you decide who you are, it edits out a whole bunch of other competing identities. Mm -hmm. And, and that becomes a central driving force. I'm, I'm not saying that you're perfect, mm -hmm. but it takes a lot of stuff off the table. And so dynamic Christianity always is birthed out of crises. Always. It's always birthed out of crises. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus talks about coming and dying and, and, uh, you know, unless you take it across, you know, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And I think this applies to the critical decision about God's word. It's not just information. It's not just motivational fodder, mm -hmm. but it's got to be the content. It is, it, is, it is the living word of God. I'll I, I share this story with you. <laughs> there was a guy that came to my office. I was pastoring uh, here. Uh, he came to my office and he said, I, I, I want God to speak to me. I want God to speak to me. And I was getting frustrated. So I said, well, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you want me to say? <laughs> I just want to hear God's voice. And he kept going down. And so I said, well, what do you want him to say? I want to hear God's So finally I just said, I, I, across the conference table in my office, I said, well, here, here's my Bible. Open it up. I said, what? Where? Just anywhere. Open it up. Now, close your eyes and open it. And so he opens it. And, I, and so uh, I said, now, now read it. What do you want me to read? Any place. Just read it. He starts reading. I said, you just heard God speak. Amen. The Bible is the voice of God, and we've got to believe that. Amen. And we can't make it without his voice. And so I'm really strong on this because I just, I just see our churches fumbling around, and there's so much preaching that's doing harm to our people. Mm. I, and I'm talking about those of us with what I would call an evangelical context. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if we treat, we treat God as if he needs, a, he needs a publicist or he needs a, right. a PR agent or, or somehow God has a speech impediment or somehow the God of the universe who created us has a difficult time communicating to our generation. Amen. Are you serious? Right. Are you serious? And we have lost confidence 
in what God said. Now, I am not saying that you just stand up there and, and, and you're lazy as a preacher. Certainly, we need to have transition statements and applications and illustrations. But make no mistake about it. My transition statements, my illustrations, my applications are nowhere near the content of what God said. It has to serve it, but it doesn't replace it. And God spoke, so I'm a little soapboxes on this stuff. I, I love it. Yeah. Amen. And frankly, that's one of the reasons we want a guy like you at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, because uh, you talk about making Scripture the reference point of your life. When, when I see people do that, pick and choose Bible verses when they're in the <laughs> yes. middle of a crisis, yeah. they, might, they might get a verse that has something remotely to do with the issue that they're finding, but they almost always misapply it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it's just... Um, and, and no offense to Hobby Lobby or Christian bookstores, we got one right here yeah, at, the, yeah. at the conference center. But you got all these pithy little yeah. scripture statements people hang on their wall. Yeah. Have no idea. I, we're doing on this podcast. We're doing a, a Bible overview every day, and I'm doing most of that—a six or eight minute devotion each day. Um, and we are in the Minor Prophets right now. And I got to confess that I have sadly spent almost no time mm, in the Minor mm, Prophets mm, in mm, my life. Mm. But what's been so incredibly life-giving for me and i'm talking about a guy now who's walked with the lord for a while yeah and who's been to seminary and yeah, who's, yeah, yeah, who's yeah, yeah, done yeah. preaching um the character of god that is revealed in the minor prophets here's a god of wrath who must punish sin because he's holy and that's good yes but then who follows that up with compassion i mean this is <laughs> thick and heavy stuff yeah that when you make scripture the context yes. of your life and that sinks into your bone marrow yeah that's so much more solid yes. than just some roller coaster ride through life where I grab a few Bible verses here and there. That's right. And, but what you're describing, and just looking at your face, it's not just the, the information from the scriptures, it's the relationship with the God of the scriptures that right. becomes clear right. to you. You know, and, and you're introduced to that through a living book. Right. A living book. And it's all about relationship. And it's not, not just about a cerebral knowledge of, of, of the text of Scripture. Right. It's about the God of the universe who, who, who is distant and yet he comes to us in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Who's full of justice and judgment but also mercy and love. Mm -hmm. And what I've discovered is the more time I spend listening and cherishing God's voice in his word... Mm -hmm. The less need I have for God to explain himself to me. Mm -hmm. You know? Amen. Because it, you're, you're, you're absorbed with his sovereign control. Mm -hmm. And it's not that, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. We need to be able to have a reason for the hope that's in us. And, and, and there, are, there, there are rational reasons for our faith. But you got to plunge in. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to finish this interview with just a little bit of conversation about being a dad. You, yeah, you've yeah, already talked about yeah, yeah. your dad and the yeah. role that he played. So my son and I, who are in the process of seeing the Yankees playing all these ballparks, we've got three to go, and we're going to write a book about it. And um, the, I'm, I'm still discerning exactly where we're going with this book, and I don't actually care if no one reads it. This is just something we need to do together. Yeah, yeah, you're right, right. I mean, if, mm. if it just gets passed down through our family, I'll be satisfied. Um, I'll read it. Send me a copy. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll get you right a forward. I don't know. Um, but, but the thing is that this has been such a rich experience for Mason and I. Um, and it's, and it's, it's really been motivated by discipleship. Yes. Uh, the reason I'm doing this, we're spending a chunk of money. We're spending a lot of time over the last six, seven years. And 
the reason I'm doing this is to earn influential capital with my son that will, God willing, translate into the passing on of my faith and values. And yeah, when we're on the road, we'll have a, you know, some situation will come up and you'll have a conversation about it from a Christian perspective, but it's not like we're memorizing Bible verses the whole no, time and, no, and no. reading scripture the whole time, listening to Christian music the whole time. Um, but uh, as I've been thinking about this and, and I feel God called us to do this really. Um, and just kind of growing in my understanding of what we're doing with a road trip, no. which isn't really about baseball at all. It's no. not about road trips. It's not about the Yankees. No. All that stuff is garbage compared to what we're really trying to do. Yeah. Um, you had a dad, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you describe him as the original promise keeper, he was all over that. Yeah. I, I know you, you gave us some great insight into a relationship with your youngest son who's a yeah, preacher yeah, yeah. in your message this morning. And it's obvious through that and other things I've seen and read between you and your kids that you're that kind of dad. Mm. Talk to dads. Yeah. Well, see, what I want to say, though, is that um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a necessarily a stated goal to, to develop relational capital. That is an outcome of a heart connection. Mm. And, and so, you know, like my dad, he... he, he he never read a book on the family. Right. He never. <laughs> he right. never read. You know, listen to podcasts. On, you right. Know. He never did. That. I'm going to tell a story this evening. But he, he's, he's the grandson of a former slave mm-hmm. who came to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and uh, someone online, my great grandfather Peter, who was the former slave, had this incredible passion and commitment to his family. And my grandfather Milton and my dad and and it's and. And so the deal is this, they connected with the hearts of their kids. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the beginning of it. it. The greatest contribution you can make, the greatest legacy, and I'm gonna talk about this tonight, interestingly enough, at the, at the conference, and I know this was aired later, but you, 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 you have to be the portrait of the desired destination at which you want your kids to arrive. Mm-hmm. And it's stumbling toward that. We're not perfect, right. but it's being authentic and moving toward that. My son, Brian, uh, wrote a book. In fact, I saw it here. It's, it's, he wrote a book about my impact on him. And little parentheses here, I didn't know he was writing that book. His mother knew he was writing the book. Wow. Everybody else, I didn't know he was writing the book. Wow. And then the publisher contacted me and said, uh, Crawford, we'd like for you to write the uh, forward to the book that Brian just wrote about you. I wow. said, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> I said, isn't that a little self-serving? The book's about me. You want me to write the forward, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I wept as I read through that book, Tears of Joy, mm. because reminded again that it, it's in the daily, it's in the, it's in the daily challenges of life. It's prioritizing your kids, and, you know, making, fumbling along, making the right decisions, apologizing to them when you mm. screw up, being transparent with them. Not, undoubt you and your son, you, you know, you guys are not the fourth members of Trinity, right. and, and the car is going there, you know, there's going to be some disagreements. He's going to do something that you don't like, and you're going to do something. And you working through all of that and letting your love eclipse all of that. Mm-hmm. That's where it takes place. Mm-hmm. That's where it takes place. It's not so much science as it is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and that's what my dad did. I mean, he was, you know, I, I mean, he, he had his faults in this kind of thing. He was far from perfect, but, yeah. but uh, he loved us tenaciously. 
Tell me, you said it's not necessarily about the setting out to build relational capital, but it's what with the heart? What it's you, the heart connection. Heart connect. So let me, this is just a, maybe a pastoral question yeah, yeah, from yeah, a, yeah, yeah, a guy yeah, to a, yeah. a mentor. Um, I don't view myself as much of a heart guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a, a head guy. And I think if you ask people who knew me, my wife, my kids especially, they say, I mean, dad loves us. Um, but I'm not a uh, gushy type what, what, talk yeah, about that, heart that, connection. That, that's I don't I don't mean that. I don't, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Uh, some some guys are uh, huggy feely and this mm-hmm. kind of. Now I can do all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I mean, <laughs> my dad. Interestingly enough, he never told me he loved me mm. until I was. Gosh, I must have been about. I was growing with kids. I was 45, 50 years old. Did that bother you? No, never. Because I mean, you knew it. Uh, yeah. See, and, th- and you know, and I know some, my, some of the counseling friends would probably call you and say, well, you know, I think he's living in denial. He's got, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I can feel the, you know, yeah. that, you know, bull feathers. That's not true, yeah. man. But I knew he did. Yep. I knew he did because he, he would touch me. Yeah. And uh, he was always there for me. Yep. I never doubted it. Yep. Never doubted it. So what I'm saying is now, now I'm, I'm, he, he, you know, you should tell your kids you love them. Amen. Okay, you yep. tell them that, and and give them the affirmation. But you don't have to change your basic personality mm. to have a heart connection. You, That's you, good. You enter into their world. You find out, you know, what signature God's written over their souls, and then you write an essay in terms of your relationship based on that signature, mm-hmm. uh, in, in relationally with them. And I think it's just caring for them. I mean, I could give you story after story where, where from my dad where, where he taught me valuable lessons. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 had, I overheard one time, uh, I was a little dude, but my dad worked AMP warehouse. I mean, he was no, you know, no white collar job. Mm-hmm. And so he would get double time and triple time if he worked on holidays. And he and mom were having this conversation about working, I think it was uh, around Christmas. And Pop said uh, to my mother, Sylvia, I, I'm not going to do that. And then he used this line. Never forget, I, I must have been six or seven years old, but I remember this. He said, if I've been away from these kids too long, and if I did this, that would be blood money. Wow. That expression just, I mean, I couldn't, I can't put words around how valuable I felt. That's we an expression felt. of love. Oh, that's an expression of love. Heart connection. It's a heart connect, yep. Decisions. Where, you, where, where your family is central. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you're, you're building that. And so you never withdraw more than you deposit into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Dr. Loritz, thank you for your time. I just want to say to our audience that I've been impressed with this guy since I was first exposed to him at Promise Keepers in the mid-90s and heard him a couple times here at the Bible Conference. Thrilled to have you back. What I was really excited about, and we don't have time to get into it, but I, I was able to have a conversation with your associate, Jim Jenks. Yeah. And I was asking him some questions about logistics and compensation and all this stuff. And uh, I always thought you to be a man of integrity, but uh, I understand that to a whole nother level than just kind of the public persona. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, what maybe has made you such an effective minister Mm -hmm. for so many decades is not just your ability to clearly proclaim the word of God, viewing it as inerrant, viewing it as authoritative, telling the guy in your office, if you want to hear the Lord speak, open your Bible, um, but also living out mm-hmm. a life that's congruent with the Lord. And obviously you're not perfect, but uh, man, we just appreciate your 
your preaching, your commitment to God's word in a lifestyle that is in line with that. So God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah. Better uh, get to dinner and the Yankees got a chance. I hope so. Hope so. They're behind seven or eight games. So I know they're praying. Uh, we're going to a Yankees game when they come down to play the play the. Uh, we're coming to the game too. We're coming down to Atlanta. Are you? Mason and I are. Yeah, we'll be at we'll be at uh, we one been, or two of those games. We went to uh, the old ballpark. Yeah, but oh, uh, you're gonna love the battery. We haven't been to the new oh, one. Oh, you're gonna love it. Get there Sun early. Trust? Sun Trust. Well, it's now Truist, but Sun uh, Truist Park is what it, what it called. Get there early. It is, it's, it's unbelievable. That's awesome. It's like August 26th or 25th or yeah. something like that. We'll be there. Awesome. Maybe Aaron we're going to the game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you. The CC Podcast is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest running radio ministries. We are 100% donor funded and donations to our ministry are 100% tax deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links. And remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you. And thanks again for listening.